Welcome to the Healing Trauma Podcast, a space for those who are healing from complex and developmental trauma. Introducing your host, Monique Coven, a certified trauma recovery coach, survivor, and thriver. The intent of the podcast is to provide helpful information with insight that can validate, encourage, and support you on your healing journey. You're going to hear stories from other survivors and trauma experts, featuring therapists, coaches, and practitioners. We will open up the conversation on effective trauma healing modalities, practices, and tools. If you are interested in trauma recovery coaching, as well as recommended books and healing resources, head over to www.thehealingtraumapodcast.com. And now, here is your host, Monique Coven. This episode is sponsored by Tyndale House Publishing. When it comes to difficult circumstances, we've all heard the platitudes, no pain, no gain. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But if we spend our lives trying to be the strong one, we become exhausted, burnt out, and disconnected from our truest selves. In Strong Like Water, author and trauma therapist Andy Kolber offers a framework for true flourishing. With each page, you'll learn how your nervous system shapes your experience so that you can move through pain instead of getting stuck in it. Order Strong Like Water now wherever books are sold. Welcome back. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about dissociation. Dissociation is something that people who've experienced complex trauma find themselves struggling with to varying degrees, but it's something that I think can be really helpful for us to get a little bit more understanding of what it is and how it impacts us so that we can normalize it because this is a normal consequence of having to live through really overwhelming repeated experiences of trauma. So I've brought on trauma expert. She's actually a renowned expert in the field of dissociation, trauma-related dissociation. She's co-authored a couple of books on the subject. So I've asked her questions that I thought would be most helpful for you. Hi, Kathy. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Monique. Thank you for having me. No, 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 no. Thank you for being (laughs) here. (laughs) I feel really honored and I feel like I'm in this special position because I've got all these listeners behind me who, um, you know, have questions about dissociation related to, to complex trauma. And here I am sitting in front of an an expert. And Mm -hmm. so I really want to uh, ask what I think would be most helpful. And I also am a survivor myself of developmental trauma. So I'm, I'm Mm -hmm. asking you also from experience. So I think I'm going to start with a question that is, um, it's, it's a big question, but you know, you can answer it as you wish. And it's, it's, how would you describe or what is the definition of dissociation in relation to complex Mm -hmm. trauma. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I want to preface first to say that uh, 
you know, everybody's a bit different. And maybe some of the things I say don't fit for everyone. And that's perfectly okay. Because nobody should feel like they have to fit into a box. Um, And so what I will say on this podcast is my understanding. Of course, everybody has a bit of an incomplete understanding. So just prefacing with that. And then what is dissociation is actually a pretty complicated um, issue because it ranges from things like checking out, spacing out that we all do, right? When we're sick or tired or whatever, stressed, all the way to feeling uh, like you have different identities, like feeling a, a split or a dissociation in yourself or personality. And so um, it's really important when, when somebody says, I think I'm dissociating, to understand exactly what that individual is experiencing. Because I think our treatment approaches are a bit different. Like if somebody's spacing out all the time, what we would wanna do is help that person find ways to get more grounded and be more present. But if they have say something like dissociative identity disorder, we still wanna do the grounding and present thing plus emotion regulation skills plus helping them uh, develop a sort of sense of self that is is owned by the whole person. So it depends on what the person's experiencing as to what how we might define dissociation. Yes, yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I didn't even know there was a word for it way back in my, I guess, 20s. Right. Um, right. Maybe even early 30s. <laughs> And I think that because it was just my normal experience coming from developmental trauma. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think that even sometimes when I work with people and and we talk about dissociation, you know, until we get into explaining a little bit of what the experience is like, at first they're like, no, 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 I don't do that. And then, oh. Oh, yes, I do. (laughs) Yeah. I have a little bit of difficulty staying in the present moment. Mm -hmm. So in relation to complex trauma, and yes, there are different degrees. Can you talk a little bit about that, about the experience of maybe not being able to be in the present uh, mm-hmm. moment? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. I, I think there are different experiences of it and sort of uh, depending on what a, an individual is, is experiencing again, we might look at it differently. But for example, there's the kind of spacing out where you're just really forgetful and scattered, right? Like you put your keys in the refrigerator and you can't remember where things are and you forget what people say. So it's very scattered and disorganized. Some people have that kind of uh, dissociation. Other people um, are, are not paying attention to the outside, but they're very sort of focused on what's happening inside. Like maybe I'm having this sort of obsessive conversation with myself about, um, you know, what this, this argument I had with my partner or something. And so I'm really paying attention to my thoughts or my emotions rather than to what's happening outside. So there's that kind of checking out. There's the kind of, um, 
shut down checking out where you're sitting and some people call it freezing, but I, I like to make a distinction between a kind of freeze and a shutdown experience, right? Freezing is um, not really being able to move or think very clearly, but feeling very agitated or activated, like frightened sometimes. Shutdown is like feeling nothing, you know, numb, uh, not thinking or having trouble thinking, foggy, um, if not completely blank. So there are all these varieties of inner experience with that kind of um, spaciness. Right. And so why, why does people who have experienced that in childhood, once they have, you know, they're now an adult, the trauma is over, right. yet they still find these patterns of not being able to be in the present moment or, you know, the different right. ways you explained association. Why does that continue? Well, I think for two reasons. And, and the first reason is simply habit. It's become what you do, right, uh, without being aware of it. So becoming more aware of whether or not I'm present is part of the journey toward recovery, right? Checking in with yourself, how present am I? And, and one question that's really helpful to ask yourself is, how do you know you're present, right? Um, and I, I would say for me, it's like, well, I can feel my feet on the floor. I feel clear in my thoughts, in my uh, connection with you right now, Monique. Um, I, I'm aware of what I'm feeling in my body. And so that, those are the kinds of things that tell us we're present. But I think the, the second thing is that even though the trauma's over, with complex trauma, it doesn't feel like it's over. And so there is this sort of attempt to escape it, what's not resolved yet through checking out, which has become a habit. Right. So there is the escape part and there's the habit part. Yeah. You said what is not resolved yet. Is that the words? You yeah. Mean? Escape from what's not resolved. Yet. Right. So meaning that those, whether it's memories or reminders are still kind of floating around, bubbling up in the present moment. Right. Okay. Right. And I think a third issue that really you know, we should take into consideration is that often people who have complex trauma grew up in families where basic emotional skills weren't taught. And so the ability to be able to tolerate and regulate big feelings is a little bit lacking. And so that really reinforces the need to run away from it, to escape from it, right? Until you learn those skills. If you're looking for trauma recovery coaching support, you can find out more about my offerings at www.thehealingtraumapodcast.com. So one of the things I'm hoping you can talk to us about is if you could talk to us about structural dissociation. What is that? Right. Well, I mean, that is a term that we made up, right? Right. Um, so it, it's 
it's not a thing in itself, but it's a, an attempt to understand why people experience this sense of being separate from themselves, right? And that runs a gamut from, uh, I know that part is me, but it doesn't feel like me, all the way to that absolutely is not me, doesn't belong to me at all. And so different people will have different of those experiences. And what we understand about that is that that um, develops perhaps in two ways. A common way is that, um, that that is often misunderstood is the fact that a child is not born with a solid sense of self. It develops. And if um, there's really early developmental trauma for the child and there's not enough secure attachment going on, the child may never develop a solid sense of self, but be almost like uh, in, in some ways, infants have these little discrete states that pull together over time. So sometimes it can be a misunderstanding that people sort of shattered or split from a, a whole rather than maybe they never came together in the first place. I think that's true for some people. For other people, they kind of uh, developed something and the trauma was a bit later and then they might have, uh, we, we might say shatter or fragment or split or dissociate. And so structural dissociation is about understanding a little bit about how that works, why it's there, and why might it be important to really explore, for each person to explore, why is it that I need these parts to be separate now? And would it be advantageous to me to bring them together? And what would that mean about who I am? And that can get very confusing. I'm thinking about, which is common for survivors, I'll use myself as an example, you know, I, I, I had different parts, you know, my, my right. kids are grown now, but you know, the mother, there was, I worked for over 25 years as a social worker, the yep. social worker, but there was also the traumatized part, which sure. was often the 10 year old or five year old or three year old. And when triggered, I would feel those parts. It's like almost as if those parts would just come alive inside yeah. me and the other parts would sort of move to the side and suddenly I would feel defenseless or mm -hmm. have that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how does that relate to, yeah, to structural dissociation or mm -hmm. our sense of self? Right. And, and I think there is a difference between getting triggered and feeling young right, or feeling defenseless, having old emotions, which can happen to all kinds of people, versus that 10-year-old is not me, right? That's another person. Uh, it doesn't feel like me. I feel fine, but the 10-year-old is triggered. That's where we get more into structural dissociation, where there feels like a bit more separation I think what you were first describing, and I don't know what your personal experience was, Monique, but I think what you were describing was a little bit about how we would describe ego states, which everybody has, different roles. You know, we get into different states of mind or different states of emotion when we get triggered, but they're all sort of experienced as me 
Only sometimes we say, well, that wasn't like me. I don't know why I responded that way. But that doesn't mean we have DID, right? It just means that we haven't fully integrated everything about our history, which we never do. But it is that sense of separation and not me that almost always goes with the sense of fear and or shame about the other part. Like I'm afraid of that 10-year-old part or I'm afraid of her feelings or I'm ashamed. She's so disgusting. That kind of thing is is more the hallmark of what we would call structural dissociation. So is the goal or one of the goals to, well, what, I'll ask you that. What is the goal of, of if you have a, a client like that? Right. And, and for me, the goal always depends on what the client's goals are, because that's where I have to work. And no, it doesn't matter what I want for the client. Um, personally, I have a belief that being more integrated rather than less integrated is more adaptive. Um, because integration is not just about parts, it's about how we live in the world. You know, the more I can own my own experiences, whatever they are, as mine, the more adaptive I can be. So I have that bias, but not all my clients have that bias. So I have to really go with, you know, can we at least um, make a communicative, cooperative team inside. Because if you don't have a team approach inside, whether you've got ego states or parts or anything, if you're fighting yourself and don't know how to resolve conflict inside, then you're really going to have trouble in life. So I noticed with um, uh, trauma approaches that you know, we want to start with, which makes so much sense, you know, learning about safety and stability before mm-hmm. we go into Let's say you've done the memory processing, not the memory processing, excuse me, the first, the mm-hmm. first part, the stability, mm-hmm. learning how to be in the here and now more and more. What would you do with a client that, let's say, wanted to uh, have less dissociation, feel less, to become more integrated uh, with, their, with their parts or whatever you want to call it? Right. And I, I guess when we talk about memory processing, we have to really... Acknowledge there's such a wide range of how to do that mm-hmm. and how each person approaches that. But generally, in general, it is coming to some acceptance of what happened, right? Resolving uh, whatever anger, whatever fear, whatever disappointment, sense of betrayal you have. Not that all of that goes away 100%, but it's like riding in the back seat. You know, it's quiet and it rarely gets activated. So it's not interfering with daily life. So it's not that you totally get over something. That's not how I think about it. But it's how do I live, given that these these things have happened to me, how do I want to live now? Uh, So it's about meaning making, making a a different meaning out of it. Uh, For example, um, a, a a person might say, well, it was all my fault. And the shift would be, it wasn't my fault. And I'm responsible for what I do now. And so it's a moving forward. That kind of thing. Or um, 
you know, what happened to me made me such a disgusting person or less than or broken. And then really coming to realize, you know, it's, it's um, yes, what happens to you is important, but how you move forward with it and heal with it is the real clincher, you know, with how you want to be in the world. Mm-hmm. Can you share with us maybe um, a strategy or something that people can use to help them if they feel that they struggle with dissociation? Sure. Um, I could share a million of them, but we'll try to limit it a little bit. Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) Um, I'm thinking uh, about two things in particular. uh, And and one is self-compassion. I know that that's talked about all the time and I understand how hard it is to do. But a little trick that I learned for myself that was helpful is to acknowledge the fact that I don't always feel compassionate because compassion is kind of a feeling. But can I have an intention of compassion toward myself and others? Like, can I behave as if I feel it? It's kind of, it's not fake it till you make it exactly but it is about a value. I have a value about being compassionate toward myself, even though I think I don't deserve it, right? And it kind of gets around that tricky thing of I don't deserve it or I don't feel it versus it's my value to be compassionate in the world. I really like that. I feel that helpful. Yes. Yeah. And to know that as a human being, we're never going to be compassionate to ourselves or others 100% of the time, right? And And you don't have to love yourself. Respect, I think, is good enough. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I really love that. So that's a good one. What's the second one? Yeah. The second one is more about learning to tolerate emotion. And this is always a hard one because negative emotion feels crappy. You know, it just does. Nobody likes to feel bad emotions or negative emotions, but the more we can tolerate and and breathe through it, um, the better. And I'm thinking about my my little granddaughter, who's uh, three and a half. And of course, she's having these emotional storms that three and a half year olds have. And we're trying to teach her now the skills that many people don't get. And so what we're teaching her is to to find the spot where the negative feeling is, frustration or anger, and then to flip to the spot that's calm and flexible. Um, And she's learning then early on to pay attention to what's negative, but also what's positive. I can be angry but then I can find a calm, flexible, adaptive space. I'm not saying that's easy for a three-year-old or for an adult, Um, but to keep working at that, to um, notice, man, I'm really angry. I need to slow down a little bit or, oh, I'm so upset. I need to really get grounded. So noticing how intense your emotions are. And then finding a way to bring them down is a great first step in learning how to tolerate emotion. Mm -hmm. It's really good. 
Is there, is there uh, anything else you can share in terms of um, for someone who does find that they're spacing out? Let's say it's, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think practicing mindful meditation uh, twice a day, even if it's for two minutes, setting an alarm on your phone as a reminder to get grounded, like every 30 minutes or something can be helpful. Mm -hmm. Really practical things like using things externally, like an alarm to bring yourself back. Um, And also to be curious about what takes you away. Why is it good to be away? You know, and I think people have various very good reasons for that, but it also is keeping them from really moving forward and having a better life too. It's tricky. Mm. So for your own clients, have you seen, um, I mean, people who have had dissociation that don't dissociate anymore in terms of complex trauma? Oh, definitely. Definitely. All the way from spacing to having dissociative identity disorder. Yeah, this, this is definitely something people can heal from. Sometimes it takes a while, uh, longer than you like, but it is definitely something that most people can overcome or at least adapt to in a way that feels a lot better. Mm, That's encouraging. It's interesting because you were talking about learning about our, our body and I, I was doing actually um, a group for a group of women who had extreme abuse and it, I wasn't doing any therapy or anything like that. It was really all about learning about their body and, and um, polyvagal theory and that kind of thing. Cool. And, and, and then all of them had shared that they all had DID. Wow. I know. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, very, you know, it's very, very common, but I will say that learning about how to, how to feel safe in your body. It was mind blowing for them. They felt mm-hmm. normal. It was yeah. really such a good thing. Mm-hmm. But can you explain to our audience? Um, Cause we did talk about parts and structural disassociation, structural mm-hmm. dissociation. What is the difference between that and DID or dissociative identity disorder? Um, really, I, I wouldn't make the distinction. I would say DID is the disorder that's listed in the, the books you know, dissociative identity disorder, but structural dissociation is just a theory that helps us understand why that disorder looks the way it does, right? Um, so uh, if, if we say somebody has structural dissociation, we're really just saying, well, they have parts that are quite dissociated from each other. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, dis- and, and DID? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, DID is about um, having aspects of self that you really don't uh, own as your own. And uh, they can can often be parts that are stuck in the trauma, like the 10-year-old or the five-year-old that's stuck there. But they can also be um, parts that have other functions, like a highly sexualized part that somebody doesn't want to own because owning something sexual might feel dangerous to them or shameful. Or um, it might be that there is a part that goes to work that other parts don't like because that part ignores everything inside to the exclusion of just going to work. And so that part is seen as sort of neglectful and uncaring. 
right? And so what happens is that parts begin to not like each other, be afraid or ashamed of each other, uh, and they avoid each other, or they fight a lot, lots of internal conflict. Um, There's often a part of self that is modeled a little bit on the abuser, which can seem terribly frightening, but it is just the way that kids learn to take in, you know, whoever's around them, they're going to take in that learned behavior. Mm -hmm. And that part of self really needs to be understood in a compassionate way with some behavioral limit setting. But this is the part of me that tells me to shut up because I might get in trouble if I tell the story, right? Or this is the part of me that tells me I'm so stupid because that part of me is really worried if I take a risk to go to school, maybe I'll fail. You know, so it's a protective part, but in a quite backwards way. Um, I know you said that you really go along with what your clients want, but do you feel like you need to integrate all of them together? Let's say you have a client who has the ID and is perfectly happy with the way that it is now. Right. Well, if they're perfectly happy with the way it is now, then what are they seeing? Me I was for? just, that's, that's my question. <laughs> Right. After it came um, out of my mouth, I asked you that. <laughs> and, and it's because I know someone who is yeah, and yeah. she's not yeah. seeing she's not in therapy and she's yeah. she doesn't want to integrate. She okay. feels she. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but what they, he, yeah. Or they might come with some other problem like depression or relationship problem. And mm-hmm. and I can certainly help people some with that. But often there are deeper underlying issues that, you know, get into the reasons why they're having those problems, that if we don't deal with the separation between parts, for example, there are often parts that want relationship and other parts that don't want relationship at all. They're scared, they're distrustful, they, right? And so there's this huge conflict between parts of self. Mm. I want to be connected. Connection is really dangerous. What are you doing? And so there has to be some resolution there, if if not full integration for the person to be able to move forward. And if they don't want that, of course, they don't have to do it. I mean, uh, I can go to my doctor and he'll say, you have heart problems. I say, I don't care. I like the way my heart works, you know, and I'm not being uh, I'm not trying to be facetious, but I'm saying that people do have a choice. And if they don't feel like they're, that issue is bothering them, then it's really not a problem, I guess, mm-hmm. you know? Okay. Is there anything that you want to share that maybe I haven't asked that you think uh, might be helpful to this conversation? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would talk a little bit about finding a good therapist, mm-hmm. right? Interview several therapists. Um, look for really good boundaries. Maybe that doesn't feel good, but it's really important that therapists have good boundaries. They're not like uh, they're showing up super late for sessions or talking about themselves, or you really want somebody that, that has some training in the area. They don't have to be an expert, but just some good training in therapy. 
So um, yeah, look for a good fit because there's a million therapists out there. That's right. That's right. That's really helpful. Um, how can people learn maybe more about dissociation or more about your work? Mm. Um, well, I have a couple of books and one book in particular might be interesting to your audience. And that is our book with my colleague, Suzette Bone, who's the uh, chief author and uh, Ono Vanderhart called Coping uh, with Trauma-Related Dissociation. And it's a skill-based manual for clients. Oh, very good. I'll put that um, in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I have uh, two other books that are more for clinicians, but if clients want to read them, they're, they're welcome to it. Great. I was checking, and I'm a big fan of audiobooks, and I noticed you don't have it on audio. Is there any plan to have it um, on audio? I think the skills training is on audio. I think I'm pretty sure it is. Oh, yeah. really? Okay. Well, I'll yeah, so check we, that out. I'll need to check that out too. Um, I don't think our, um, our other books are on audio, but I'm pretty sure I signed a contract for that to happen. So I'll check that yeah. out. Cool. And what other resources do you have? What is your website? And is there any other websites you want to mention? Um, oh, there must be some great websites out there. I'm not thinking of them in the moment, but my website is www.kathy-steel.com. It's not up to date right at this moment, but um, yeah, I don't know if, I mean, if you want to read some of my papers, you can. Good. But I, I think for general information, oh, I know of a good one. Um, it's called Trauma Pages. I think it's still up. Um, that's a good one. Isn't there an association that? Um... The International Society for the Study of Trauma and Dissociation, their website is www.isst-d.org. ISST-D.org. And they also have a find a therapist um, link on there so that you can look for therapists in your area. Oh, that's great. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes people will email me asking for a therapist and I just don't know the people in their area. So it's better to go to a, a centralized database like that. Yeah, that's right. That's good. Kathy, thank you so much for spending time with us. It's really appreciated. Thanks, Monique, for having me.